Could it be that the church does better as a persecuted minority? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. For those watching on YouTube and Facebook, you see that we are audio only today. Uh, we lost the power in our building. Well, the half of the building where our studio is uh, shortly before radio today. So we have to do audio only from a remote location. But it is the same friendly voice and the same smile. Can you hear the smile in my voice? Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Here's the number 866-34-TRUTH. 866-348-7884. Phone lines are open wide on anything you want to talk to me about, anything you want to challenge me on, differ with me on, probe more, find out more why I stand where I stand. 866-348-7884. I want to talk about the reality of persecution. I want to talk about persecution worldwide. I want to talk about what our mentality as the church in America, I know you're listening from around the world, but in America, where the vast majority of our listeners will be, what does it mean to be a believer in 21st century America? I'm uh, going to share some headlines, information with you, but let, let's just start, instead of Nigeria or India or the Middle East, uh, let's start in California, California. So there is now a law case. Harvest Rock Church has brought on Liberty Council to challenge the state of California because Governor Newsom recently forbade singing in church services. You can gather, but you can't sing. Of course, we commented on that. Now, what, what makes this so strikingly hypocritical and ridiculous is that you can freely protest on the streets. You can shout and protest on the streets. You can be side by side virtually spitting at each other and, and that's okay. And the governor's, well, I mean, this is important, race issues and, and, and social issues. Yeah, we got to get out there and protest. And yet, if you gather in a church building, even socially distancing and proper sanitizing, you can't sing. Well, well now he's going to step further. You cannot gather in your homes for Bible studies, for house groups, for prayer meetings. He has, he has no constitutional, legal, or moral authority to do any such thing. So this is being challenged. And this is part of a larger trend of unequal standards for the people of God. Here, let me give you another example. Right now, there is an all-out attack on what the media calls conversion therapy. What it is in practical speech is counseling, professional counseling for those with unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender identity confusion. It's already the law in many states for minors. So as I've said many a time, but some may still not be aware, let's say you're a 17-year-old girl. Let's say that you were molested by an uncle from the ages 9 to 11. Let's say as you began to develop sexually and came into puberty, that you found yourself repulsed by men because of this, apparently because of the abuse you suffered. You found women more tender and understanding and were drawn romantically to women. 
was it a result of the abuse or what? Well, either way, you didn't like it. You, you planned to, to marry a man and have children together. And that's what you believe is right biblically. So you, you want professional counseling. You want to get to the root of the issues that you're struggling with. So talk to your parents and they say, absolutely, we're, we're, we're so mortified that we didn't know this was happening and we didn't protect you back then. But of course, we're standing with you. Let's find the best counselor. Well, it's illegal in many states in America. Now, if that young woman said, wow, I'd like to explore being a lesbian, I, and I, but I have some conflict over that, I'd like counseling, that's legal. It's legal to, to have your same-sex attraction deepened, but it's illegal to, to have your unwanted same-sex attraction dealt with. Illegal. <clears throat> so, uh, again, uh, again, we're talking about someone wanting professional counseling, not parents shipping a kid off to some torture camp, which is a non-existent myth anyway. But we're talking about wanting counseling illegal. Now, let's look at another scenario. You're a 10-year-old boy. You struggle. You feel like you're really a girl trapped in a boy's body. It makes you uncomfortable. And, and you feel like you're, you know, your body is, it doesn't fit and, and you're confused, but you, you're happy to be happy in your body. I mean, you'd rather not change your body and go through hormones and surgery and all that. So you tell your mother, father, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I want to kill myself sometimes. I want to cut something off of my body. I don't feel it belongs. And what do I do? And parents say, hey, we love you. We're, you're a boy. We love you. You're always going to be our boy. Let's try to get you some professional counseling. Illegal. Illegal in many states in America. However, if that 10-year-old said, I really want to be a girl. Mommy and daddy, would you help me be a girl? And they say, let's find you a professional counselor. And the counselor says, okay, let's send Johnny to school in a dress, dressed as Jane. Everyone will now call Johnny Jane. When Johnny hits 11, we want to put him on uh, hormone blockers to stop the onset of puberty. Then as he gets a little bit further into his teenage, we want to start giving him uh, cross-sex hormones to start to develop him as a girl. And then when he's 18, let's get him sex change surgery and basically he'll be sterilized for life and so on. That's legal. Child abuse is legal, but helping the kid is illegal. Well, there is now a concerted effort to get this banned for all ages. Professional counseling for those with unwanted same-sex attraction and unwanted gender identity confusion. There is a concerted effort being made to make it illegal for people of all ages in state after state. And right now, social media is taking that up and blocking your pages or blocking your ads. If you say, hey, I came out of homosexuality. Jesus helped me change. I found this counseling very helpful. I recommend it. No, no, no. This is just an example a tip of the iceberg of the opposition coming our way. I, I don't have a persecution complex. I don't, uh, I, I've been overseas enough. I've, I've literally washed the feet of martyrs' widows. I've, I've, I've had people close to me killed for preaching the gospel, okay? Uh, one of my best friends in the world was stoned for preaching the gospel. He and I almost, well, we came close to, we risked our lives preaching the gospel together in India, 
and every day around the world, there's severe persecution. Right now in China, it's getting intense. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that as the show goes on. I, I don't fear that in terms of the church can grow and thrive in the midst of it. In fact, in many ways, we do better as a persecuted minority than a, a ruling majority. And I, I asked this question on Twitter, oh, what, hour and a half ago. What's your take? Does the church do better and function more effectively when it is a persecuted minority rather than the ruling majority? 56.9% said we do better as a persecuted minority. 4.4% said we do better as the ruling majority. So it's 10 to 1 against that view. No, over that, uh, almost 15 to 1. Uh, 33% said it can go either way. And just under 5% said I have no idea. But the strongest answer was the church does better as a persecuted minority. So I know we can thrive and grow and be effective even while we're hated and rejected and cast out. And virtually every book of the New Testament promises us persecution, opposition for the faith. And the more we stand for Jesus, the more the world will come against us. The question is, are we ready? The question is, The question is, are we bringing this on ourselves because of our silence? Are we bringing this on ourselves because we're afraid to speak the truth? In other words, it's it's one thing when you are in communist China right now and, and your life is being threatened for being a believer. So there are increasing numbers of reports coming from China, ongoing persecution of Muslim minority there ongoing persecution, which has been for decades, of Christians, things were seeming to get better for a season. And there was hope that change was coming, and and then the the present leader has really cracked down and is trying to make himself into a modern-day Mao, even the way he looks and the pictures everywhere, and increasing numbers of reports of Christians you must get rid of religious artifacts in your house if you have a cross or religious pictures. You must get rid of them and replace them with, with President Xi. Replace them with pictures of him. Church buildings with crosses being torn down and things like this. This is happening in China, but there's not a lot that the persecuted church can do other than refuse to bow down, other than refuse to capitulate, other than refuse to sell out. But we in America have the opportunity to stand now and speak now while we have our liberties and freedoms, to stand now so that the next generation does not have to deal with all kinds of opposition and difficulty and challenge. So what will it be? It's a big question to to ask. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed to stand for Jesus? Am I ashamed to be identified with him? Now, here's what's interesting. This makes the 2020 elections even more interesting. Right at this moment, in fact, as I'm looking at my clock, uh, I am on the Eric Metaxas show. You said, what? Well, we recorded it a few days back, and we're talking about my new book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, will we pass the Trump test? If you haven't ordered it yet, order it. I am, I am sure you'll be absorbed immediately, drawn into the, to the contents of it. I trust you'll find it super helpful. And whether you are an always Trumper or a never Trumper 
or somewhere in between, I think the book will, will be a, a real helpful contribution during this volatile election season. Here's what becomes so fascinating. On the one hand, it could be that what we need is the, the radical left to take over the nation and drive it in a way that'll basically be like driving a bus full of people off a cliff. I mean, absolutely disastrous. But that's when the church finally wakes up. That's when the church finally starts to realize the reality of the conflict and starts to live right and stops putting its trust in the political system. But is that what you want for your kids and your grandkids? Is that the world you want them to grow up in? On the other hand, if we cast a vote for Trump, believing that he'll be like a wedge in the door before a collapse comes, will we urgently, passionately go after God for revival and awakening? Because that's the hope of America. Not Trump, not anybody else, except for the Lord. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. We are audio only for entirely different reasons. We were audio only on Friday, but today audio only because of a power outage through the half of our building where our studio is located. So everyone listening on radio, podcast, the same as always. Everyone watching on YouTube and Facebook, picture the smiling face, the mustache, the nose. Yeah, and, and the same voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. 866-34-TRUTH. Remember... If you believe in what we're doing and are blessed by the broadcast, the biblical principle, let him who's taught in the word share all good things with his teacher. If we've been a blessing and a help to you, by all means, share with us, share your testimonies of how God is working in your life and help us financially. You can do it if you're watching on YouTube by clicking on the YouTube dollar sign and your gift of any size helps immensely. That's right beneath the chat box. Or if you're watching on Facebook, You'll see a donate button there. Just click on that and immediately it'll be noted whatever your gift is of any size that will help us greatly too, especially these days when we're off the road. Uh, Should be resuming traveling in August, but we've been off the road since early March, since my Australia trip. Yeah, trip after trip after trip canceled. And in many of those trips, we're able to help raise funds to do our radio broadcast and our, and our, our live streams and things like that. So thank you for your help. 866-34-TRUTH. Let me read some comments to you from my Twitter poll that asked the question, does the church do better as a persecuted minority than it does as a ruling majority? Manny said, I think one of the benefits of persecution is that it gets rid of the tares in the church. This, This leaves only the true believers in the church. Do you know that this is not a tall tale, this is reality, that there are times in persecution when Christians do not know who's an informer or not. They literally don't know, is is this person real? So what they have to do is they have to vet them over a period of time, and they only let them in the outer circle. 
And over a period of time, if they prove true blue, then they let them in a little further. And then if they really show that they're genuine, then they, they get all the way in. Otherwise, they, the, the secret police and others will, will send people in. I have friends in persecuted countries telling me about their very experiences with this. And sometimes the only way to be sure that you don't have an informer in your midst is at your Bible study, your secret Bible study or house meeting. Uh, you say, all right, see everybody next week, but you don't say where the meeting is going to be. You say, really? Yes, really. For those who think the Holy Spirit doesn't lead and speak, think again, okay? And then the Holy Spirit will impress on everybody's heart this house, and they all know it, and they show up. Well, if you're an informer, you didn't hear God. God didn't tell you. And then if it happens a few times, like, okay, we just figured that person out. Literally, this, to this day, this happens. So persecution does have a way of, of separating true believers from false believers. Uh, Denisa, it thrived in the Romanian underground prison church. Not only guards and communists in high positions were coming to faith, but the faith of those persecuted was growing, and the unity and love amongst them was amazing. Of course, the best-known example of that would be Richard Wormbron and his wife Sabina. When I spent time with them, they were like they were from another world. The, the saintliness and grace on them, and yet they suffered unspeakable things. You hate to go through that. Sometimes it's, it's only through persecution and rejection that we become who God wants us to be. Troy said, I think persecution can definitely be a reminder for the church to depend on God and bring many to action in defense of the gospel, but there can be more variables involved, so it goes either way, maybe more refining than anything, other factors more vital than persecution. One fact is that in Islamic lands, if you go back to, what, 13th century thereabouts, there was massive persecution of the church, Middle East, Northern Africa, and some communities basically wiped out. And to this day, there is, there is a, a genocide of Christians in the Islamic world in the Middle East. Persecution, decimation, and in some cases, it, it, it is in the direction of, of genocide. By the way, it's not Israel that's doing it. Israel gets, but you're genocidal. No, no, it's not Israel that's doing it. Just a little footnote there. Christians have more freedom in Israel than they have in, in any of the surrounding Islamic nations to openly share their faith. That being said, I understand that persecution can be destructive. It's, it, it's not some pleasant thing that you hope for or look for, but in the midst of it, we often thrive because we're looking to God, not people. We are not looking to the government to advance our agenda. We're, we're not looking to our power or our numbers. Look, remember Nebuchadnezzar's sin in, in Daniel 4. Is not this great Babylon I've built? And some will look at the great church empires and Christian empires and look at our reach and look at our impact. And when you're persecuted, it's just Jesus. Jesus, we're going to honor you and be faithful to you. And, and he's the one who advances his kingdom. Uh, Dan said persecution purifies the church with reference to Matthew 24. Not that any of us in America can relate. Our Christian experience is the exception, not the norm in history. Cakes and social media attacks don't count. Michael Greenfield said, doesn't have to be all out martyrdom, persecution, but church individuals, businesses, or any living thing always grows better and stronger under stress. Majority of what we call church discipleship needs to go away anyway. Phil said... The Chinese church flourishes under persecution. The churches of the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe did not. 
I'm guessing American strong commitment to individualism will work against us. And Terry Joe, the people are the church. The church in this organization influences the people. America was formed getting away from a ruling majority. We must follow Christ alone. But again, very interesting to see that overwhelmingly people think that the church does better. The church does better than uh, when it is often under stress, under testing, and many times does not do so well with great freedom and prosperity. Here, look at it like this. You're an athlete. You're in serious competition every week. It's stressful. It's pressure. You're the number one in, 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 in your sport, and every week somebody's coming for you and gunning for you, and, and you have to be disciplined, and you have to work hard. And, and, and you can't vary in your sleep patterns and your diet patterns and, your, and, and, and you've got a psychological coach and a, and a physical coach and, and, and a nutritional coach and going for it, going for it, going for it. And you, and, and, you, know, you are at the top of your game. It's a, it's a tough way to live, but you are absolutely at the top of your game, right? Then you retire from the sport and you put on 30 pounds and you get out of shape, well, because you didn't have to, be, because you weren't under pressure, because you were able to, you know, kind of take it easy. So sometimes we kind of fall asleep at the wheel when we have a lot of liberty, when we have a lot of freedom, when there's not a lot of opposition. Uh, Catherine Booth had fiery words about that Salvation Army co-founder with William Booth about when the church has opposition, it's a bad sign for the church because the world hasn't changed. Opposition in that respect is a good sign. And, and I believe it was Jerome in the fourth century who said that nothing is to be feared more than too long a peace. So when everything is peaceful, quiet, tranquil, we, tranquil, we often lose our edge. We, we lose our passion. We lose our fire. We lose our burden. We lose our brokenness. We don't pray as much. On the flip side, who wants a situation where your kids are taken from you as parents because you're Christians? Who wants a situation like pastors in Orissa, India faced years back, according to folks that were there telling me the story, that, that they would take the pastor, get his wife and kids, and pour gasoline all over them and say, you denied Jesus or we set them on fire. Who wants that? So can we, without the pressure, without the threats, w without people trying to kill us, can we regain the passion? Can we regain the focus? Can we regain the fire? Can we pray with intensity? Because right now, it, it's either that and awakening in America or persecution is going to come in, in ways that we've never experienced here. I'm not making this up. Again, I, I am anything but chicken little sounding the alarm when there's no reason to be alarmed. Some of you know that we're putting out a new edition of my revolution book that came out in the year 2000. And we're putting out a new edition in October of this year. And going through some of the chapters where I was talking about things in the late 90s and in the year 2000 and the state of America then and warning that we were in revolutionary times 
and that radical change was coming to the nation if we did not wake up as a church. Now looking at it 20 years later, it's, it's kind of shocking. It's, it was very intense holding those things in my hand or on my computer, I should say, and looking at the pages and then taking the physical book from 20 years ago and looking at it thinking, oh my, oh my. We were warning then about radical cultural change that was coming and so many did not hear the warning, didn't take it seriously. And, and, and now look at where we are. And it's not just talk about cultural revolution that you know Christians are saying it's happening. It's the world. It's the BLM movement. It's the, the Marxists and the socialists and, and Antifa and the radical leftists that are saying, oh yeah, this is a revolution. This is a revolution. Friends, the world is thinking in revolutionary terms. It's time that we do. And what are those terms? Life as it is is not worth living, but the cause is worth dying for. Jesus is our cause. Jesus is our all in all. Worth living for. Worth dying for. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on The Line of Fire today. Delighted to be with you, Michael Brown. My joy and privilege to spend this time with you. We're audio only today, so listening on radio and podcasts, same as always, watching on Facebook, YouTube, audio only. We have to broadcast remotely today because power outage knocked out the power in our half of the building where our studio is located. So, again, everything sounds the same, just don't get to see me, and we can't play video clips for you to watch. Yeah. Okay. 866-34-TRUTH. Phone lines are open. I'll take some questions today on any random subject that comes up. Try to get to some calls like that. But first, the subject of persecution in the church. Please understand or persecution of the church, please understand that the gospel message is highly subversive, that the gospel message is, is contrary to the spirit of the age, that with the gospel message comes hatred and opposition. Why? Well, we are shining like light in dark places, and, and the darkness doesn't like that. The darkness is offended by that. We are calling people to repent of sin, we are telling people salvation and forgiveness are found only in Jesus. These things are offensive to people of other faiths and people of no faith and people who don't think they are sinners. We are calling on people to surrender their lives to God and not live for themselves. I mean, these are fundamental challenges to, to human pride and, and human will and the flesh so we are swimming against the tide. We are going against the grain. That's just the reality of things. So the, the question is, how do we respond when opposition comes? First, we can't be surprised by it. I can literally go through every book of the New Testament, really with the exception of Philemon, and I mean, slight exception elsewhere, but go through every book of the New Testament and show you how every book talks about persecution for the faith, suffering for the gospel. It was the norm. People understood it. When they signed up, they knew what they were getting into. When my friend Yesu Padam baptizes people in India every year, 
he asked them, at water baptism, are you willing to follow Jesus to your, to your last breath, to your last drop of blood? At water baptism. And uh, I talked to a colleague who works extensively in the Middle East. I've shared this many times. And he said that before they baptize a, a former Muslim, this person's making a profession of faith, before they baptize them, they ask them two further questions. They go through their profession of faith and they ask them, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if they don't say yes to both questions, they don't baptize them because they don't see them as serious. Jesus said, unless you forsake everything you have, you can't be my disciple. But starting in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and then directly to us, blessed are you when, when people hate you or revile you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And, and it, it's through the Gospels. Uh, Matthew 10, Jesus said, if, if, if they called me Beelzebub, the head of the house, they called me the devil himself, what are they going to call you? And, and, I mean, it's just over and over through, through the Gospels. And John 15, if, if the world hates me, remember it hated you. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. And then persecution through the book of Acts, chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Acts. And Acts 5.41, after the apostles are, 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 are flogged, they leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they're kind of worthy of suffering reproach for the name. And then when Romans, Paul talks about the suffering we endure, he's talking largely about suffering for the gospel, not only, but primarily. I mean, through the, through the gospels, Paul recounts his personal suffering, and then in the epistles, he lays these things out. So the gospels, Jesus tells us, and the act, Acts gives us examples. And then Paul, you know, Peter talks about hardship, suffering for the faith. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes your way, you know, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Uh, and then the book of Revelation is filled with examples of, of suffering. And Revelation 12, 11, how the saints overcome Satan uh, it, by, the word of their, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, by not loving their lives even to the point of death. So this is the norm through the New Testament. It's, it's been normed through much of church history. We need to wake up to the reality of it in its early stages here in ideological persecution or, or losing jobs or, or being excluded or canceled. Here's a report from Family Research Council, July 15th. Uh, Fulani herdsmen and their jihadi-style attacks on Christians, uh, initially Fulani violence against Christians was attributed to climate change. Oh yeah, right. It's been widely reported that due to drought and the receding of pastures for their flocks, desperate Fulani migrant, migrant, uh, migrant herders began to confiscate land on which to graze their animals. However, due to ever-increasing evidence of rampant bloodshed, outrageous brutality, and Islamist chants and declarations during attacks, through Fulani marauders, jihadi intentions have been exposed. Open Doors reported in 2018 that Fulani terrorists had completely destroyed a dozen Christian villages in a four-day massacre. Quote, most of the victims were in their homes sleeping when the attacks began, when Fulani, uh, Muslim Fulani militant herdsmen began their killing spree. In only days, a dozen villages in Nigeria's plateau were wiped out. As many as 200 Christians had been killed, however, some residents fear the death toll may be even higher, as more bodies needed to be recovered while others were burned beyond recognition. According to ICON's recent publication, between January 2000 and 2020, Fulani militants have killed nearly 19,000 during their assaults on farms and villages in the middle and south of Nigeria. Friends, this is going on to this day. This is going on to this day. It's, it's, not, and it's, not only, it's not only the Fulani doing it. Boko Haram, you've heard more about them. 
But we're talking about all-out attack, persecution of believers, especially in Nigeria. One of our close friends has served there working with the poorest of the poor, teaching children in, in Muslim and Christian communities, and she, she cannot be there right now just because it's too dangerous. Uh, these things are real and going on on a regular basis. Here, here's a, another report. Um, this is from uh, just July 20th, so two days ago. Uh, under North Korea's Sungbun system, citizens are classified based on their perceived loyalty to the state. Religious practitioners belong to the hostile class, which limits their access to educational and employment opportunities as well as other state benefits. That's, by the way, it is in much of Pakistan, that if you're a Christian, you are deprived of, of better jobs, better educational opportunities, and you could just be killed for your faith, and there's very little that can be done about it. Uh, North Korea has a network of prison camps and labor training camps to house an estimated 80,000 to 120,000 prisoners of conscience and other citizens declared enemies of the state. Expert est- es- experts estimate that tens of thousands of these prisoners are Christian, the majority of whom were arrested by the Ministry of State Security because they possessed a Bible. Christians are particularly vulnerable for targeting because they are viewed as having ties with Western countries and thus posing a threat of foreign infiltration. Even family members often must keep their faith secret from one another for fear of discovery. Fellowship with other believers in group worship poses too great a risk. Uh, Being found with mere pages of a Bible could result in immediate death or imprisonment in one of the terrible prisoner labor camps where slave labor, torture, deprivation, and death are commonplace. Despite these realities, it is estimated that there are 200,000 to 400,000 secret Christians in North Korea. And, And you know what's really remarkable, friends? It's possible, it's possible that the number could be much, much, much higher. I don't know if you remember hearing the stories about the church in China, but when Chairman Mao rose to power, when there was the bloody purge under him and the cultural revolution that reached its its height in the 60s, Christians had had to go totally underground. They'd been underground for years at that point. Missionaries had to flee. And there was great concern what happened to the church there. I mean, the gospel had been preached in China for years and years, and you think of things like the China Inland Mission with Hudson Taylor and others, and you had Catholic missionaries and, and others who, who, were, who were sharing th- their understanding of the faith, etc. All, all to say that there was a lot of missionary work from different Christian circles over a period of many, many years, and now church has to go underground. And the thought is it's got wiped out. Leaders persecuted, captured, put in prison, Others killed, others go underground. When China opened up again, the world was astonished to find out that there were tens of millions of Christians, that the church had grown dramatically, that the church was thriving under the heavy hand of persecution. I've only been to China once. I've been to Asia, I don't know, 50 times. But I've been to China once. I've been to Hong Kong once. And I was in Hong Kong before it was under China the way it is today. But when I was in China, this was a special meeting. The Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham Association under Franklin Graham was invited to bring over 40 Protestant evangelical leaders from America to meet with 40 leaders, uh, state leaders, as well as uh, three self-church leaders. 
So the Three Self Church is a patriotic and uh, official state church. And within that church, it's quite a mixture. It's what I was able to find out there. You have some that truly preach the gospel and that are genuine Christians and others that are complete compromisers. You have the, the, the compromised along with the genuine in the midst of it. That's the best I could understand. And then talking to my contacts within China, that's the best I could understand. But they were presenting everything in terms of, hey, we're printing Bibles, we're working together, we are encouraging the underground church leaders to identify and, and work with us, and they can use our three self-buildings. And, and we talked to some people privately, they said, yeah, we, we are able to use, we're underground church, but we're actually able to come out more from, from hiding and meet in three self-churches, and we work together in some cities. So there was more liberty and then others feared this was just a ploy to get more names and then crack down. That's what ultimately happened. That's what happened. But when I was there, I had a big question because it looked like things might be opening up. And, and when I was in Hong Kong, I taught about 40 pastors and Christian leaders being trained. I taught the book of Jeremiah for a week at a seminary that brought people over from mainland China to Hong Kong. And they were saying how much more liberty they had now, how much easier it was than years before. And I asked them a question. You have thrived under persecution. Will you thrive under freedom? You have thrived under persecution. Will you thrive in the midst of prosperity and abundance that's coming to much of your country? Now, some are still dirt poor in villages and things like that, but there's much prosperity coming out of the parts of China. If you have freedom and prosperity, instead of persecution and poverty, will you thrive in the midst of it? Well, right now, the persecution is getting heavy again. That's a question that I could be able to answer in terms of freedom. But by God's grace, may they thrive under persecution. And may that be a lesson for us. May this be the wake-up call, the signs of persecution, opposition, resistance to the gospel, burning of church buildings. May this be the wake-up call to stand strong. All right, your calls, we come back. Hey, everybody. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. As you can tell, we're audio only. Well, you can't tell if you're listening on radio or podcast. It's always audio only. Uh, 866-348-7884. Look, I'm going to go to the phones in a moment and and change subjects. But for those who think I'm too intense about this stuff, just ask yourself, have, have my warnings been off? Have my predictions been off? Where we've talked about where things are going with LGBTQ activism for 15 years now. Have we been off? Have we exaggerated? Have we understated? When we talked about the ongoing attempt to silence us as, as believers, have, have I been exaggerating as you've watched things unfold? Look, there's a ton that I don't know, and there's a ton that I miss, and I got all kinds of blind spots like everybody else. And I can be wrong about, you know, expect this, or expect maybe this, maybe that, whatever. But there's certain things that I know that, that I'm burdened with, and that's why I speak up. So what I'm saying is simple, friends, that while we have the ability to broadcast freely like this, 
and to get our message out as much as we can online and to warn and to speak up and to speak out and, and to make our voices heard from the business world to the educational world to the world of media and social media and in our neighborhoods, it's really speak now or maybe not forever hold your peace, but if you're going to speak in the future, it's really going to cost you. Would you rather have a world, friends, in which your kids can grow up or your grandkids can grow up and teach their faith freely and openly to their children and put them in a Christian school or homeschool them or stand up for for godly values in the workplace? Would you rather have that environment, an environment where if if you want to preach on a certain controversial subject from behind the pulpit, you can do it without getting handcuffed and taken away? Would you rather have that environment or the one where you are handcuffed and taken away, where your kids are not allowed to homeschool your children, your grandkids, and and teach them biblical values, that they have to be in a state-authorized school? You say that's never going to happen. Who says that's never going to happen? Do you think if I got up 20 years ago and warned about everything happening in society today, that people would have believed it? If, if we stood up in the late 60s and said to the society, let me tell you where things are going to go in the next generation, people would have thought we were crazy. And, and look, I've, I've had major publishers come and apologize to me for warnings that we tried to issue years ago that they didn't see and then say, hey, we, we were wrong. We, we missed it. Now, they may have seen 10 things I didn't see. You know, we all have our place, but I, I, there's a reason for the intensity. And trust me, this is not to get better ratings. You talk about intense subjects. No, you want to get better ratings. You find out what people are into and you talk about that. What's trending? That's, I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to please God and try to honor the Lord. And I'm convinced if I'll do that, then whether it's 10 people we reach or, or 10 million we reach, that we'll have the impact we're called to have. Friends, I share these things because they're urgent. I share these things because they're true. I share these things because I've watched what's happened around the world. And, and here, one, one last little news item. And, and when I say little, I mean short, but it's intense. Uh, l- listen to this. A, a recent UK commission report, this is July 10th. A recent UK commission report finds that, quote, millions of Christians in the Middle East have been uprooted from their homes and many have been killed kidnapped, imprisoned, and discriminated against. And the overwhelming majority, 80% of persecuted religious believers in the Middle East are Christians. Yeah, so that report was cited July 10th. United States Commission of Religious Freedom finds that 18 of the top religiously oppressive countries are Muslim majority. Another five are communist. These are perhaps the most impenetrable bastions of persecution afflicting Muslims as well as Christians and those of other religions. And only three are Christian majority, of which Eritrea and the Central Republic of uh, Central African Republic nevertheless have Christians as the most widely persecuted group. Friends, America is hanging in the balance right now. And the way to preserve your liberties is to keep them, to speak up, to speak out, to, to be bold, to be courageous. And God will bless you as you do. And hey, Jesus gave us a word of comfort, Matthew 10, 28. You know what it was? I'll paraphrase. Hey, don't worry about people. The worst they can do is kill you. What? Yeah, well, that's what he said. I'm not saying we should be reckless. I love life. I cherish life. But I don't love my own life. 
My goal is not to preserve my life. My goal is to honor the Lord. Here are the exact words of Jesus. Don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, changing subjects. We go to the phones. Jim in Georgia, welcome to the line of fire. Yes. Hello, uh, Jim. Thank you. Yes, thank you for taking my call. So I appreciate your ministry. I, I just had a question. I'm, I attend a Southern Baptist church. I have some Messianic Jewish friends. And it's not really a question about the Sabbath. It's just about crucifixion week. I know, um, well, I've been beginning to believe, just in reading, that on crucifixion week, um, Jesus was crucified on Passover day, which was Wednesday. Thursday was a high Sabbath, and he rose from the grave before sunset on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, which, which gives a literal 72 hours, um, as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So my question is, what do you believe the Bible teaches about crucifixion week, and, and does it matter? It, it doesn't matter in terms of whether he was crucified on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday, meaning his death is just the same. It is the same atoning sacrifice, and whatever the, the calendar issues are and the challenges of reconciling what the synoptic gospels say and John's gospels say in terms of was it the Passover day or the day before the Passover in terms of the meal, so the controversy there, the bottom line is that he died for our sins in conjunction with the Passover, and he rose from the dead. That's the bottom line. That's what matters most. Right, now, that's the main thing. To I me, agree. there's overwhelming clarity that in the early hours of Sunday morning that he rose, so that, that he does rise from the dead on, on Sunday morning. Uh, that seems clear, undeniable, and strongly attested. The problem with the dating is, yes, if you want a full 72 hours, you have to go back to, to Wednesday, if you want to have the better part of 72 hours, you go back to Thursday. If you want to have part of three days, then it's Friday, right? So, right. so part of Friday counts as a day. All of Saturday counts as a day. Part of Sunday counts as a day. The, the problem is it's not three days and three nights, which is what Jesus references. On the flip right. side, the problem is that the very, very strong testimony of the early church was a crucifixion on a Friday. Interestingly, uh, Jim, there are all kinds of issues that I've gotten into in tremendous depth, you know, debate issues, controversial issues, volatile issues. I've gotten into them at great depth and, and studied all sides. I've only studied this a little, and, it, and I never make it an issue. In other words, when people say, you've got to read this book, it's conclusive evidence that Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday— my responses could be, but I'm not looking into it right now because it doesn't, it doesn't affect me either way. If it was something that affected me in terms of my outreach to Jewish people or the integrity of the gospel witness, then I'd look into it more. So I have no issue with it in terms of a, a historic possibility. It's just a small minority view, and you have to right. ask yourself, since so many in the early church had the same data we do, and the same questions that we have, was it not a problem to them to say Friday? In other words, was it fully understood in, in the communication and thought of the day 
that three days, three nights simply is you're talking about three days and it's as long as it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's three days, you know, and it's it's fine. So I would say this study it to your heart's content, but don't divide over it and don't be troubled by conclusions you come to as long as it's the same death for our sins in conjunction with the Passover and the same resurrection for our, vindic- for our vindication uh, in conjunction with first fruits on that Sunday. All right? Sure, I understand. Thank you. You are very welcome, Jim, and thank you for the, for the call. Hey, so friends, as, as I've been doing a lot of interviews about my new book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test? And you can order it on our website, AskDrBrown.org, or... Uh, direct on Amazon, the ebook you can start reading immediately, or uh, the paperback you can get there. What I'm finding really interesting is some of the radio hosts that are inter- interviewing me or podcast folks that are interviewing me did not vote for Trump in 2016. They could not get themselves to. They either sat out the election or they voted for a third party candidate because they didn't know who Trump was, they didn't trust him. And they were so much offensive about him, they couldn't get themselves to vote for him. But they're voting for him either definitely or probably in 2020. You say, isn't that interesting? Because the bad stuff has been bad. I mean, the stuff he's done that's divisive and nasty and juvenile, that's been bad. And, and to the extent we're associated with it, that's bad. I talked to a friend in Australia yesterday. We were uh, uh, messaging, messaging each other. And he said that Christian witness in Australia has been hurt by evangelical support for Trump in America. Isn't that remarkable? Now, of course, how does the media spin it? How does the media put it? That's the other thing. And how does that affect things? So that's a real factor. On the other hand, Trump stood up for a lot of important things, including religious freedom. That's a big issue. Anyway, we sorted out more in my book. If you haven't gotten it, by all means, check it out. If you've read the book, please post a review on Amazon and let others know if you've been helped and blessed. Back with you tomorrow.